It's lights out and away we go. Well, hold on. No, it isn't. Uh, welcome to the Pit Straight. This is an F1 off week. And so uh, I decided that we'd do something a little bit different for the podcast this week. I am Jack Swansea, the host of the podcast you're listening to right now. But joining me is not our usual guest, frontstretch.com IndyCar editor Alex Gintz. Instead, joining me is one of my favorite front stretch contributors, uh, an excellent photographer, father, and the mastermind behind a 20-year scheme to convince everybody he's English, Danny Peters. <laughs> I'm still going with my fake English accent. It works well, I have to say. And thanks for having me on. Sorry that you have your second choice person this week. Alex will be back next week for normal service being resumed. Well, Danny, as the mastermind behind this 20-year fake English accent, um, you've also managed to uh, raise yourself in England. So you grew up with Formula One, that's right? I did. I grew up with Formula One. My early heroes were Nigel Mansell and Damon Hill, and I had a big hatred for David Coulthard, I, I, but then I grew to like him in the end. You know, I watched the race when Senna sadly died and that whole era of Michael Schumacher. So yeah, that was Sunday. Get home from church, watch some, watch some Formula One. Well, then you're the perfect person to answer today's question, which is, and a little, little context, Danny and I are coming to you from Sonoma Raceway in beautiful Northern California wine country. So we thought today's a good time to talk about what makes a great racetrack. And because this is, of course, a podcast about Formula One, what makes a good road racetrack? So great question, Jack. And I think the great thing about road courses is they're all so different. You know, you look across all the different road courses around the world and they're all so different. But I think two key things that make a, a great road course are one, passing zones. You've got to have places where passes can be made. You know, on some courses where there's, you know, one small-ish passing zone, it makes for processional racing. And what you want to see is those passing and, and those those moves. So I think passing zones is, is a really key one. And then the second thing I think is important is elevation, you know, the ups and downs. And Sonoma is a course with actually quite a lot of elevation and you don't get that on TV. You, you you get that when you're here and you're seeing the ups and downs and certainly as a photographer walking up through three and four and and so on, you definitely feel the elevation but I, so i think those two things elevation and most importantly passing zones so we're talking about tracks on the formula one calendar that live up to those expectations i mean spa Francorchamps certainly comes to mind but what yeah, that, that's a good one. I mean, I, mean I, I love Silverstone, you know, like, I, I mean, how can I not, right? I, I'm fake British, so I have I have to I have to say I, I like that track. But yeah, Spa, Silverstone, I think two, two really good options. What else do you have? What else do you like? Well, personally, uh, I think a track that's really fantastic for Formula One racing and rarely gets mentioned in the same breath as those is the Red Bull Ring in Austria. Interesting. Um, because something that I think really adds to the experience, particularly for Formula One, in addition to elevation and passing, which Red Bull Ring has both of those in spades, is a short lap. I think being able, uh, when a driver is able to set up a pass over the course of multiple laps, having a shorter lap to, to be able to close that, close that move out makes a big difference, especially at Red Bull Ring where it's got that turn one elevation change, turn one hairpin straight leading into the turn uh, depending on how you count it three or four hairpin really a fantastic section of corners for overtaking in modern formula one car even if it's not quite the the flowing more traditional 
race racetrack layout like something like Spa Francorchamps. So you talk about uh, shorter shorter laps versus longer laps. Why do you think the shorter lap is better? Because isn't it better with a longer lap because you have more time to set up your passes? So what what makes you say that? Well, I think from a from a TV perspective, it's a little easier because someone who's more of a novice to Formula One can understand what the track looks like and will have a sort of intuitive understanding just if there are fewer corners, what corner comes after which. So I would highly recommend someone's first Formula One race be the Austrian Grand Prix. I think it's a fantastic uh introduction to competitive formula one racing particularly because it's been a it, it's been a pretty dicey race there in the past i think uh, 2019 2020 were, were particularly good i also do want to say at this point just in case there is some doubt jack is not actually sponsored by red bull he just really likes that track so just in case dear, dear listener you're wondering if 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 jack's doing some spo- hashtag sponsored work here he's not he le- he genuinely loves that track no, I think we've uh, we we do generally uh, are, are quite critical of Red Bull uh, on this podcast. So uh, it's nice maybe to to talk about a little bit about some of the positives that they bring to the sport, which is a very competitive racetrack, even if the speed of their race car doesn't make the, the racing that competitive these days. I mean, it's interesting with the race car because obviously they're, they're so much better than everyone else right now. It, it, it's, it's just a question of who's finishing third, basically. But, you know, you have to give that team credit, right? They, you know... We we went through this period of, of Mercedes dominance and in this new era, they're absolutely smashing it. And that's the goal with Formula One is to be the best you can. And they are showing great excellence. Where I, where I think it's sad is that, um, you know, obviously with Drive to Survive, you have all these people who are really into it. I have a friend at work and she was never watched Formula One before, started watching Drive to Survive. And, you know, on a, on a Thursday or a Friday when we're meant to be meeting and talking about work, she's like, oh, I'm going to be up at six for quality. She's got all the terms. I'm like, you know, you could record quality right you could just you know watch that when you get up and she's like no 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 I've got to be up there live for it and I think the problem is you know with all these new fans that you've got coming in they're seeing Max win by 30 seconds 40 seconds you know and and that's not competitive so how long does that era of dominance or, or, or when does that era of dominance for Red Bull start affecting all these new fans that we have been attracting to the sport especially in the United States yeah, I think this is a... Danny, just thanks again for coming on the show because it's a great opportunity to talk about this. We're getting a little uh, sidetracked from talking about racetracks, but I'm, your perspective as a lifelong Formula One follower from you know a country, supposedly, that uh, from a country that has been in, so heavily involved with F1 in its 70-year history, I'd really like to hear your take because we talk about Drive to Survive influencing this new American F1 audience. But what I want to know is, do you think that just the 2021 season being so competitive and so down to the wire between Max and Lewis, do you think that is maybe an an undervalued part of F1's rise to prominence in the U.S.? I mean, I I think that's a fair point because it was such an exciting season. And, you know, we were still kind of in COVID times as well then. So people are people are still kind of at home as well, watching TV. And I I do think that was such a thrilling championship battle. And, you know, you look back in any sport, you look at the the great teams, the great eras, the great battles. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a English soccer fan and I still remember the 1989 league championship where we win our first title in 17 years. And it goes down to the last minute of the last game. And you don't forget that. And and so when I think back to that absolutely epic championship 
as a British person, am I allowed to say this? I'm still mad about that. Like normally with sport and a sports loss, I can get over it real quick. But that one, I'm st- I'm I'm still mad about that. Like still, like Lewis was robbed of his eighth championship in my Sir Lewis. I'm sorry, but you know I know we're meant to be objective here on, on the podcast, so I'll I'll, I'll rein in my uh, my uh, sadness around that. But yeah, I do think that I think a big, a super exciting moment like. Uh, I think from a NASCAR perspective, you know, maybe that season with, um, and you'll give me the the year, but with Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards that went, you know, right down to the wire to the final lap, they're running one, two, you know, a season like that. Those kind of seasons, they, they, they attract new fans. And when you layer on this great content in the drive to survive and you get behind those drivers and you see them in a different way, it kind of all adds to the mix. Long answer, but how do you see it? You think it's had a big effect? I, I certainly do. And I think that it, just saying Drive to Survive is what brought people in and does a disservice because they're still watching the races. A Drive to Survive does do an excellent job bringing people behind the scenes into the into the experience of the drivers, but ultimately that's what the race broadcast does as well. And so if you can get people to watch the race broadcast, pay attention to the race broadcast, just engage with the sport, it's that's how you get an audience for anything. Um, not to talk too much about Abu Dhabi 2021, uh, but they, and maybe this is bringing back a little bit of what Alex and I spoke about after Monaco and how we both think they should change out the layout of the Monaco Grand Prix. Abu Dhabi, they, they changed the layout of the track, uh, altering just a few corners to try and encourage passing. Um, and of course they had to, for safety reasons, F1 and FIA have had to change Eau Rouge and Radion at Spa-Francorchamps, which is a, a track we both enjoy. Do you think that something's lost in changing tracks? Do you, do you think that F1 should sort of just take the tracks the way they are, especially a historic venue like Spa or is there, or Monaco, uh, but is there, or is there the opportunity for sort of messing around on the track level or just more generally with the rules of Formula One? I think, you know, as a traditionalist, you want things to be the same. You want the track that, you know, the greats in the past raced on to be raced on by the, the greats of today. You know, obviously the cars are much better today but you there is that sort of comparison in the lines they take how they approach the track but i think in the world that we live in now you know when if, if you can change your product to make it better and you know we see certainly see that in nascar the chase the game seven final moment you know all, all that stuff that the changes we've seen within nascar if you can change things to make the sport better to make the race better to make it better for that fan watching at home I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in favor of it, but I'm also like reluctantly in favor of it because I still have the traditionalist in me as well. Okay, so one last question for you. The new Silverstone layout post-2010 yeah. versus the old Silverstone layout. Which is better and why? I mean, you know... I'm, Brit- I'm British. I really am British. I just want everyone to know I truly am British. I'm from a small town called Godalming in Surrey. And the way that I say that will we'll just guarantee that you're like, why do you say British guy? But, you know, as a British guy, I'm going to pass on that question. That That is a controversial question that I do not do not want to want to take an opinion on because I know my, my good friend Andy Hollis will listen to this and will absolutely kill me whatever I say so I'm going to pass gracefully sorry <laughs> well I think that's as gracefully as you could pass on that question Danny thank you so much for coming on the show um, and to all of our listeners thank you so much for listening 
I am Jack Swansea, host of The Pit Straight for FrontStretch.com. Check out some more of our great content on FrontStretch.com. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. We've got some great road racing action from Sonoma going up there this weekend. And why not give the Front Stretch Open Wheel Twitter account? We are now at over 100 followers. Please join the very cool club of people who follow at FS Open Wheel on Twitter. And Danny, just any final thoughts before we have to go? I just want to say thank you to you, Jack, for all the hard work you do on this and for the site and just just keep it up and, you know, keep keep watching Formula One. And um, I guess my last question to you would be first time out at Sonoma for you, a track I've been to a lot. Well, just give uh, to finish this out this week, give that give uh, give our listeners uh, your first impression of what you think of Sonoma Raceway. Well, I've been watching races on TV at Sonoma for quite a long time now. But coming here in person, seeing that massive elevation change up in turn one inspired this episode of the pit straight because, I mean, this is a truly incredible racetrack and it is visually spectacular. And that elevation change just made me think of Spa Francorchamps, which made me want to ask you about it. (laughs) That's great. Well, thanks, Jack. Keep up the good work, mate. Thank you so much, Danny.